Hi, this is Chris Kipp, lead pastor of Renaissance Church in Richmond, Texas. Thank you for streaming or downloading this podcast today. I hope this resource blesses you. If you haven't joined us at a worship gathering or at a house church yet, we want you to come. You can find all that information and more at rin-church.org. I pray that you are encouraged today by the proclamation of God's word. We are beginning a new series today to kick off the summer. It's summertime, hello. And uh, we thought we're gonna walk through a book of scripture together. The reason being is that you, like me, like every other person, probably are trying to read scripture throughout the week. But many times as you read it, you're like, I'm I'm understanding bits and pieces, but I, I want to get better at understanding the scripture. And so, we, um, we will often just take a, a book of the Bible and read it slowly together as a church because it helps us not only understand what the author is trying to tell us, what, what the Lord is speaking to us, but it also trains us for our own times where we're reading scripture by ourselves. The, the title of our series is Full. And I'll explain that in a minute. We're, we're gonna be studying the book of Colossians together, which is an incredible book of the Bible. It's a unique letter of Paul, the Apostle Paul. And I, I'm, I'm gonna explain that in just a moment. But I wanna ask you a question to start with. How would you define a full life? What does that mean to you? Um, we had a, a clump of fabric in the corner that used to be our mattress topper. Uh, and praise God, we got a new mattress topper. It's been changing my life. It's amazing, right? It was cheap. It was on Amazon. I'm not even going to go there, okay? It was it's awesome, okay? And it's like one of those things, though. It's like, you know, what do you do with the old one? It was in the corner. And, and yesterday, Casey's like, do we just throw it away? And I was like... It's lived a full life. I think it's time, right? I think it's time. And, and we use that phrase maybe at a funeral or, you know, uh, when your fish dies and you're like, it's lived a full life, you know? Um, what does that word mean for you? What, what is life full of? What, what does it mean to you? Let's start with that. To you, to your heart. If you're honest with yourself, what does it mean for you to live a full life? Life, And that's what I want us to explore today. And I'm just curious, like, how did you come up with that definition? I mean, your, your definition might be that my life was full of great experiences, right? We, we got to travel. We got to, you know, see these amazing things. I, I, I had some adventures along the way. Life was full of great experiences. Maybe for you, that, that would be more of a, I just have a full feeling, about my life. Maybe it's uh, a life that's full of material stuff, right? Or accounts that are full of money. We, we would all like to have accounts full of money, but is that a full life? Or, or maybe it's a life that's full of certain people. Right? What, what would you define the full life as? Um, we're going to be reading from Colossians chapter 1. If you want to turn there with me, we're going to start in verse 1 at the very beginning. And throughout the series, we're just going to be reading verse 
by verse, and I want to let you know that this is a letter that Paul wrote from prison. Paul's in prison. This is about the year 60 or 62, somewhere in there. So Jesus has, has resurrected and he's ascended to the Father. And this is about 28 to 30 years after that moment. Okay, so this is all still fresh stuff that's happening uh, on planet Earth. And Paul's writing to a church that he didn't start. Most of the letters that Paul writes are to churches that he starts, but this was a letter written to a church that he'd never visited. He didn't start it. And so this was kind of like the, the, the cookie that fell off the table. It's like this second generation that was planted by a man by the name of Epaphras. So let's read this together, starting in verse one. Paul, the author, an, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints in Christ at Colossae who are faithful brothers and sisters, grace to you in peace from God our Father. Real quick, he addresses them as saints. Now, some of you might come out of a, a background where a saint has to have two confirmed miracles and like a whole pious life that can be, you know, you know and, there's, and you, can, you can light candles and offer prayers to saints. Paul's writing to saints as the word saint is a believer in Christ Jesus, faithful brothers and sisters. He's writing to Christians. Verse three, we always thank God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints because of the hope reserved for you in heaven. You've already heard about this hope in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. It is bearing fruit and growing all over the world just as it has among you since the day you heard it and came to truly appreciate God's grace. I just want to point out one more thing. He talks about the gospel as this, this living element. It's growing. It's bearing fruit all over the world, just like it has among you. And, and this is so beautiful because Paul is chained to a guard. He can't go out there. He can't share the gospel. He can't, he can't tell people the word. He's trusting that the word itself is growing legs and it is spreading all over the world. This living, active, in Romans 1, he says, the gospel is the power of God, right? The power of God for salvation. Okay, verse seven. You learn this from Epaphras our dearly loved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he's told us about your love in the spirit. Verse nine, this is the part that I want us to focus on today. For this reason also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. We're asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God, 
being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the son he loves. In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Today I'm, I'm calling this message a prayer for fullness. Because that's the, the theme that I, as I was reading this book and preparing for this series, this is the theme. It's like he's praying for fullness. He's going to tell them, in Christ is all the fullness. You've been given fullness. He's going to talk about a, a heresy that he's correcting, and he calls it empty. And this is the theme of the book, that you would be filled And that's what Paul prays for, for these believers. And I believe today it's a prayer for you and I, a prayer for fullness. Now, let me tell you about the word filled. I pray that you would be filled. This is a a big, abundant word. As I started studying this original word in the Greek, it's to make full, it's to fill it up, it's to fill it to the full. I mean, I, I imagine if you have children and they've ever had to like pour a glass of milk for themselves, and you get really nervous because you're like, oh my gosh, like you could just see the countertop covered in milk. It's just gonna be terrible, right? And then they fill it and it's like, oh, please stop, please stop. No, oh gosh, you know, and it's gonna overflow. I mean, that's the picture of this word. It's, it's, it's an overabounding, super abundant fullness. I pray that you would be filled, overflowing, abounding to the top, to furnish, to supply liberally. I'm, I'm full, right? I'm complete to the top. Nothing shall be wanting or lacking. It's the full measure, full to the brim, filled. It's a good word. I love that word. And I'm excited to talk about this prayer of fullness. But here's the thing. In life, when you go after your definition of fullness, you often wind up empty. Do you know what I'm talking about? When you chase the world's definition of fullness, you wind up empty. The first thing that I want you to understand today from this passage is that a full life comes from prioritizing God's will over your own. Like, man, that doesn't compute. I mean, I, I have a vision for the full life, and it's, but you're saying that I have to prioritize God's will over my will. This is a key to fullness that we see in the prayer of Paul because he's praying not just for fullness that's generic. He says, I pray that you would be filled with knowledge of what? His will, right? Knowledge of his will. He's, he's praying that they would understand God's will and that they would be filled with that will in all wisdom and spiritual 
understanding. And I love this. So, so Paul's correcting a heresy. And you have to understand that from beginning to end. There's, there's a reason why he's writing this. And I love this quote from Charles Spurgeon. I think I have a slide for you guys. It says, he would not have them ignorant. He knew that spiritual ignorance is the constant source of error, instability, and sorrow. And therefore, he desired that they might be soundly taught in the things of God. He wants them to be filled with knowledge of his will. But let me just point this out to you. What he could have done is written a thousand page manual of every possible way that you might have to decipher God's will in your life. And he could just write out, okay, if this happens, then do this. If that happens, no, no. What does he do? He prays that they would get the knowledge, the filling, not that Paul could give them, but that God alone could give them. This is the kind of filling that, he's pray, that he prays for. Now, let's talk about the word will. Because we use that word a lot. Well, if it's God's will. Is it God's will that I get married? Is it God's will that I cross the street? Is it, you know, we talk about God's will in a lot of different ways. Let's talk about what that word means. Now, broadly, the, the will of God is God's purpose to bless mankind through Christ. That's the, that's the big picture understanding of God's will. But specifically, it's the desire, the pleasure, the determined choice of God. It's correctly understanding, this is important, what God desires of you in any and every circumstance. His will. What he desires of you in any and every circumstance. Now, I'm going to tell you this because I think it's helpful. This does not require the heavens parting and angels singing to you, right? It doesn't require a heavenly vision, okay? God may give you some visions, and God may speak to you in some very specific ways, but you can know his will. You can know his desire for you. He prays for all wisdom and spiritual insight. Now, that, that word wisdom is important because you know this, that there's, you can know a lot of things and not practice them, not put them into practice. You can not apply them. The word wisdom is applied knowledge. It's to know something, his will, what he desires of me in any and every circumstance, and I have to apply it to my life, right? So wisdom is applying knowledge. The spiritual insight, the Greek word is the root for our word synthesis, which is taking multiple things, concepts, ideas, and you are able to take all that and, and to make sense of it and to apply it specifically to your life. So he's praying for wisdom and insight. Now let's talk about how does this look in our life. For example, if you're single in the house today, Okay, what is God's desire for you in your singleness? Have you ever thought about that? Like, God, what do you want to do with me right now in my singleness? If you're married, 
God has a desire for you as a married person. What is God's desire for me right now as a husband or a wife? If you're engaged, what does it look like? God, what's your desire for me as an engaged person, right? If you're single, but you're in hot pursuit of the one that you're like, I think this could be the, the one, right? What does God desire for you in the hot pursuit of the one, right? He, he wants to show us his desires for every part of our lives. But here's the thing. You have a will too. Did you know that? And your will and God's will are not always on the same page. Amen? <laughs> I remember the first, my first battle of the wills. I was a brand new believer in Christ. I went to a youth group because that, I heard that that's what Christian kids do. And so I was a senior in high school. I thought I was way too cool for school. I would actually, I, had a, I would get the, the Arizona iced tea tall boys and I'd, I'd, I'd bring it in a, in a brown paper bag and I'd walk in and I'd have my frat boy hat on like this and they're probably like, what's in the bag, bro? You know, like that's how too cool for school I thought I was, all right? And, uh, but I love Jesus. I, I like, I, I really loved the Lord. And I went to youth group and there were all these cute girls at youth group. And I was like, this is amazing. Like, I love church, you know? And there was this one young lady that just, you know, started talking to me and acted interested in me. And I was like, Thank you, God. You are a provider, right? God provides. He loves me. And so, you know, I'm like, you know, you, you give your life to Jesus and everything just works out, right? And I meet a girl at youth group. And the youth pastor sees it beginning to start. And he sits me down. He's like, hey, uh, man, I know that God's doing a lot in your life. That you're a brand new Christian and I just want you to know that this is not a good idea. I, I know her, and I know you, and this is not, this is not gonna go well. To which I said, you don't know anything. That's what I, I didn't say that. But in my heart, I was like, thanks for taking the time to talk to me, right? And in my heart, I was like, I'm totally going out with that girl because it was my vision of a full life. And you know what happened? It was full. It was full of pain. It was full of regret. It was full of compromise. And it was full of heartbreak. That's what it was full of. It didn't leave me full it left me empty. You have a will too. We use words like strong-willed, free-willed, <laughs> stubborn, force of will, willpower. Because you have desires, just like God has desires. You have determined choices in your life. You have inclinations. And your will is the thing in you that's that invisible part of you that kind of works its way into every decision you make. 
It's like the, an internal compass in you. It's, the, it's that, like we call it the spirit, that it's the will inside of you. And you have a will that can be really, really strong. And what happened in the fall is there was a disordering of wills. Man lived perfectly in the will of God until a serpent shows up and says, did he really say? You know, you could be like him, knowing both good and evil, if you just did this. And all of a sudden, there's a disordering of wills where man steps out from under the will of God and begins to, to um, act according to his own will. And you kind of know the story of the human history of wars and famines and diseases and death and brokenness and all the stuff that we deal with because of a disordered will. I think of a, a child when you're a parent and you have young ones and uh, when they're little and they see a rock on the playground and they pick up the rock and there's kids around and you know don't throw that rock, little Johnny, right? He looks at you like, what? Don't throw that rock, little Johnny. He's looking at you like, you don't know what you're talking about. And Johnny throws the rock, and some kid's bleeding on the playground, right? <laughs> Why? Because Johnny has a will. And John, there's stuff that Johnny wants to do. And when you say don't do it, he's like, Why are you taking my fun away? Right? It's a disordered will. But see, the fullness of God, the fullness of life, actually comes from prioritizing God's will over your will. And that's what he prays for. Filled, superabounding, with knowledge of his will. The second thing, it's going to sound like the first thing, but it's important to what Paul says. The second thing is that a full life is concerned with pleasing God over pleasing self. Again, you're like, that doesn't fully compete with my vision of the full life. Let's look at this in verses 10 and 11 of Colossians chapter 1. He says, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. He's, he's praying for a filling that will result in a certain kind of walking that would be fully pleasing to him, which means... It's possible for me as a believer in Christ and for you to walk in a way that is not fully pleasing to him. Amen? That's possible according to the scripture. It's, it's possible also if we are filled with the knowledge of his will that we could walk in a way that's fully pleasing to him. We'd be filled with knowledge. I, uh, I was thinking of in the Christian circles, and it's, it's, it's in what Paul's correcting, what we're going to get to in a few weeks, is that there's a sense of if you're spiritual, 
and you're filled with the knowledge of his will, it's so that you can go into small groups and be like, well, what that really means, if you look at the Greek, is it means, you know, you know. And, and you could kind of sound spiritual, and you could look spiritual, and you could have inside knowledge. But Paul's not worried about that. He's worried about how you live, walk, right? How you walk, the tangible working of your life. In Luke chapter 16, there's a famous portion that Jesus says, and I'm just gonna read this to you. It says, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me will find it. For what will it benefit someone if he gains the whole world yet loses his life? Or what will anyone give in exchange for his life? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will reward each according to what he has What's that word? Done. According to what he has done. This is the paradox of fullness. When we seek ourselves, when we seek to please ourselves, we lose ourselves. That's what Jesus says. But when we deny ourselves and live to please God, we find fullness of life in Christ. If you, if you seek after everything you want, you could literally gain the whole world and you could lose you. You could lose your soul. You could lose your life. I, uh, I shared this during our gospel tool series uh, on the week that we're talking about evangelism, evangelize the lost and um, you know, a, a big part of my story, I, so I shared in that, in that message a, a tool called Three Words. And one of my words as a young man was empty. Because I had a vision of the full life and it was like, um, you know, I, I was getting invited to all the parties. You know, I had a, a really cute girlfriend. Um, I, I, I had all these like acceptance and in all the experiences that a young man would think like this is it like I, this is this is the good life this is this is the full life and one of the things that made me open my at least my eyes or be open to Jesus was that every time I checked one more thing off of that list of like you know this is the full life I always felt a little bit more empty and it's like I was always just chasing the next things. Like I, I thought I would feel different when that happened, but mm, it's not satisfying my heart, right? I, I was pleasing myself and I was winding up empty. And I think where it gets a little bit tricky is when you get a little bit older and you start adulting is that when... Uh, prioritizing your will and pleasing yourself looks a lot like a good, honest life. Stable job, family, 
okay house. Kids in sports. But all across our city, behind closed doors, how many people are desperate, chasing one more thing, thinking, man, once I got the house and the family, I thought it would feel different than this. Once I got to this income level, I thought it would feel a little bit different than this. Once I finally got out of that old jalopy and into something decent, I thought I would feel a little different than this. And how many secret sins are being hidden away? The pornography, the affair, the emotional affair, the addiction, how many pills, how much alcohol, how much media do we have to consume to fill the emptiness inside of us? How much food do we need to eat? How much gossip do we need to share? How many battles do I need to pick with my neighbors, right? Because he's, his leaves are on my side of the fence. Always just, just one more thing that we're always trying to solve or chase. How much do we need to buy to keep the emptiness at bay? You see, when we live to please ourselves, it never results in fullness. Jesus says, live to please the Father and you will find life. Thirdly, a full life is a living thank you. I love this. Paul's chained to a guard in a prison and he's praying for fullness for these people. And he talks about joyfully giving thanks. <laughs> that, that, we could, that we have this inheritance coming that, that we get to share in. And the inheritance implies that you're just in the family. Like you didn't make the money. You didn't save the money. You, just, you were just born and then you got something. And that's the picture of, of the Christian life. It's not about our works. It's about what Jesus has done on our behalf. And we get to share in this inheritance. And it, and it results in this joyful thank you. A living thank you. He says that we've been rescued from the domain of darkness, which is the power and the authority, the, um, the, the, the rule the jurisdiction of darkness, Satan and evil and sin. You've been, you've been rescued out of there and you've been brought into the kingdom of the son he loves. And I just, again, I'm just seeing Paul chained to a guard saying, you've been rescued. You've been rescued from the domain of darkness and transferred in to the kingdom of of the son he loves. And as he's chained, I just picture Paul thinking like, what chains? <laughs> what chains? Because I think when it comes to their vision of, of the full life, a lot of times you feel resisted, like, man, I can't. Like, I'm, I'm stuck financially. I, I'm stuck relationally. Like, my, my wife and I, we're just not there we're like we're just not on the same page and it's like she doesn't want to change or I don't want to change and we're just stuck 
we're, we're stuck in, in my job, my career has a ceiling, and it's like, man, I just, I'm stuck here. And Paul, who's stuck in a jail, says, you're not stuck. What chains? You're, you might be chained, you might be stuck, but you're not stuck. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? You might be chained, he's literally chained, but he's free. And it's not a freedom that is about his circumstances of, of the full life. I didn't picture myself in a prison right now. But he's full on the inside. He's free, rescued from the domain of darkness. He's in the kingdom of Jesus. You see, the system of our world is basically designed to tell us, you lack, you lack, you lack, you lack. So you need to chase, you need to buy, you need to consume. And in the middle of that, I love how he closes this. He says, verse 14, in him we have. In him we have. You, you don't lack it. You don't have to go chase it. You have to go buy another thing or whatever. In him we have. We possess redemption and the forgiveness of sins to which we can live a thank you because I already have it. I can live my life fully as one big fat thank you that my walk would release gratitude in worship. It's the fragrance of our lives when we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. If you already have it, you can stop chasing it and just say thank you. So, a full life comes from prioritizing God's will over your own. A full life is concerned with pleasing God over pleasing self. And a full life is a living thank you. And this is the application. This is the challenge. This is, this is really the challenge, I think, for the whole book of Colossians. Okay, start to finish. Here's, here's my challenge for us is, will you allow God's word? Will you let God's word correct your vision of the full life? Will you let God's word correct your vision of the full life? Because if you don't, as your friend, I want to tell you, you will wind up empty. Jesus says, you'll lose your life. And that's because every other vision of the full life puts me at the center. But the full life actually comes from Jesus at the center of our life. The only one truly worthy to be at the center of your life is Jesus. And so, my friends, let me close by praying this for you. I pray that you may be filled 
with the knowledge of his will. In all wisdom and spiritual understanding so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, in growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saint's inheritance in the light. He's rescued you from the domain of darkness and transferred you into the kingdom of the son he loves. In him, you have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Amen. For our ministry time today, I just wanted you to know that between the full life and the empty life, there's a cross. The cross of Jesus is where your forgiveness was settled. Jesus said, there's another cross and it's yours. I don't know if you caught that in that passage. Jesus' cross is where your forgiveness is settled. Your cross is where lordship is settled. It's where you determine for yourself who's at the center, whose will is going to be done. Who will I be fully pleasing to, me or to him? And so as we uh, close today, I want you to consider the cross that Jesus has given to you. The cross that he says that you need to take up and to deny yourself. And I want you to know that the fullness of life that you so desperately desire is on the other side of that cross. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance Church Sermon Podcast. To contact us or find out more information, visit rin-church.org.